Thank you, praise team, and thank you, Rhonda, for those shouting words. That uh, it is it is true. How could one not look at who God is, what He has done uh, through creation, what He has done in providing for us, and what He has done through Christ, and not be overwhelmed uh, by this God that that lives and this God that we serve, this God who loves us. Uh, is a, a wonderful song, and I look forward to worshiping uh, with that song more again in the future. So I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Today we are in verses 32 through 42 as we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The message is called Grief in the Garden. And I wasn't aware of it really until I got to thinking about it and studying it more this week of how many sports use a cup as their trophy. Uh, for example, the World Cup is famous for soccer uh, and all the nations battle for that. Uh, the Breeders' Cup, of course, uh, here in uh, horse racing country, uh, we're familiar with that. The Stanley Cup, uh, hockey teams battle for that annually. The Sprint Cup, if you think about uh, NASCAR and uh, stock car racing. Uh, the America's Cup, maybe one we're not too familiar with here, but that's for yachting. Uh, different nations battle for that every year. And, and here in Kentucky, we got something called the Governor's Cup. Uh, here in uh, about a month or so, we're going to be battling for that. And Lord willing, the Wildcats will bring that back to Lexington, away from that school to the west of us <laughs> this this time. So... A lot, of, a lot of sports, a lot of folks contending for the cup because the cup is a sign of greatness in these sports. Today we're going to be looking at the greatest of all time and he is not contending to grab the cup but he is contending with whether or not he can let go of the cup. And he, in doing so, sets an example for us to follow as we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning, entrust yourself to the Father's perfect plan, even if that plan involves suffering. It's something that none of us ever like to endure, but we see Jesus setting for us this example in the Garden of Gethsemane. Entrust yourself to the Father's perfect plan, even when that plan involves suffering. I want you to stand with me at this time if you are able to. This is something we do in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God that has been delivered to us through the pen of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? 
Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence at this time as we just sang, By mercy we have this privilege. And Lord, we have this privilege by your mercy through the actions of our Lord Jesus. And as we look to this passage of Scripture this morning of Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, may we once again be reminded of the significance of what He and He alone has done for us. May we also be challenged as His followers to listen and heed His words of instruction that He gave to His disciples. Father, if there be any within the sound of my voice that has never trusted in Christ, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do the work only you can do in their hearts. Help them to understand they are lost and helpless, hopeless. The only, the only recourse they have is to fall upon the mercy of God and trust in Christ, surrender to Him as King and as Lord. Father, anoint the preaching of your word today. Let it accomplish all that you have intended for it. Despite my sinfulness, despite my frailty, Lord, accomplish by your power what you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've been working our way through Mark. We have come to the last hours of Jesus' life on earth, leading up to his arrest and leading up to ultimately the cross. Last week we looked at the Last Supper. Jesus shared with his disciples and how he taught them through his actions and through his giving that we must humbly accept his provision as the only one that can satisfy the needs of our soul. We read in the scripture last week in verse 26 that they went out to the Mount of Olives and here tonight or today we see that they came to Gethsemane. Uh, the Gospel of John refers to this as a garden and Gethsemane is a Hebrew word that means olive press or oil press. It's a place where, uh, as you can tell by the word, there on the Mount of Olives where the Jews would uh, press olive oil out of those fruits. And In this we see a very intense scene, one of the most intense scenes painted for us in Scripture in the life of Jesus. And here we see he is preparing to suffer according to God's will. And as we look to him as our template, as our, our model, and as we face suffering, and we understand that sometimes suffering is God's will, and that plays itself out in our text today. We see Jesus instructing us and showing us how we also might come to handle suffering and prepare to suffer according to God's will. First thing we ought to do is look to our Lord's devotion to his devotion. In verse 32, we, we see once again the personal prayer life of Jesus on display. It's not the first time we've seen this in Mark. Back in chapter 1, verse 35, it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Then again in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. 
the beginning of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, and now at the end of his ministry, we find Jesus as a man devoted to prayer, conversation with his heavenly Father. In verse 32 it says, When they came to Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. He was not going to do anything else. He was not going to go any further until he had prayed. It is through prayer that we have our direction from God. It is through prayer that we receive the power and the courage to move forward in God's plans. And if Jesus felt it was important and crucial to pray to his Father, he, the, the, the sinless Son of God, felt the need to communicate with his Heavenly Father, how much more so do you and I need to do the same, especially when we are faced with the prospect of suffering? Our Lord's devotion. I shared with you all last week, our car battery died. And unfortunately, it's a very crucial uh, part of your vehicle. You, you cannot drive if you don't have a battery that works because it's your source of power. For us as believers, we cannot, we will not be able to succeed in ministry and in life, especially dealing with struggles and trials and temptations without the power of prayer. So we look to our Lord's devotion in his prayer life. We also look to our Lord's affliction, how he agonized over the path that lie ahead of him. Verse 33, he took with him Peter and James and John. These referred to oftentimes as the inner circle of the disciples. Jesus had many followers. Now those followers, he had 12 disciples. Now of those 12, he had three that he took with him on special assignments. And it's believed perhaps they were the three individuals that were the closest to him of all the people in his life. And perhaps that is why he brought them there in that time. Perhaps he needed their support, their companionship. And how crucial it is for us when we do suffer not to try to go it alone, but to surround ourselves with those who love us and care for us. And perhaps that's why Jesus brought them, and it's also speculated that maybe he brought them there to teach them a valuable lesson about humility. Because you see, it was James and John who said earlier in their ministry they wanted to sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus in glory. And he said, are you able to drink from the same cup, the cup of suffering that I drink from? They said, yes, we're able to do that. Remember, it was Peter at the end of the, of the Passover meal that told Jesus, I will never deny you. Even if all these others do, I won't. I'll go to my death for you. Perhaps it's for that reason that Jesus brought those three to show them how weak they truly were in their faith. We don't know for sure, but he did bring them with him. In verse 33, it says, He began to be very distressed and troubled. Literally, he began to be amazed and horrified by the prospects that lie ahead of him. And then it says in verse 34, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Reminds us of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. He writes these words, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. And again, verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And here we see Jesus in agony, literally over all that he knew that he was about to endure. 
grieved to the point of death. And he says to them, Remain here and keep watch. The word keep watch there literally means to be on the alert, to, to be watching and to be spiritually aware. He wanted them to be aware as he was of just how dire the situation was that he was about to face and that they likewise were about to face the agony, the affliction. We just sang that popular song this morning, In the Garden. And lest we get it twisted, that song is not about the Garden of Gethsemane. It, it paints this pretty picture of roses and, and, the, and the wonderful voice of Jesus and, and the joy that we share. And it's a very uplifting and a very positive scene. And that's not Gethsemane. I don't think that song is meant to reflect this text. It's about the joy we spend in prayer with God. That song is not about what's going on in Gethsemane. Two different things. Because we see here Jesus agonizing. We see him horrified. We see him literally scared to death and warning his disciples to keep watch. Look to our Lord's affliction and how he handles suffering. Look to our Lord's petition, valuable lessons from his prayer life. We've already said how he makes a, a commitment to prayer. We learn also from the way he practices prayer, how we also can petition and ask God for things. And two words pop out to me in this, intensity and intimacy intensity of his prayer it says in verse 35 he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground overwhelmed by the burden the spiritual burden that he faced not the typical posture for Jewish prayer it was typically standing and lifting the hands before God here is Jesus falling down prostrate he can get no lower on the ground just overwhelmed and burdened by what he was about to face. And we also see the intimacy of Jesus in his prayer life because in verse 36 he cries out, Abba, Father, Abba was the Aramaic term of endearment, a term of affection, affection one has for their father. Some speculate perhaps Daddy would be an English translation for that. The closeness that Jesus felt with his heavenly Father and he taught his disciples in the, in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, when you pray, pray as this, Our Father, our Abba, who art in heaven. Again, not the typical way that Jews prayed. But Jesus institutes for us through his life, through his death, through his mercy, that we likewise cry out, Abba, Father, in our prayer life to God, when we make our petition and notice how Jesus prays and what he is praying. Verse 35, he fell to the ground, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass by him. The hour, the, the preordained plan of God for his life at that moment, the hour, the hour of suffering, the hour of the cross. He prayed that that hour might pass by him he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And notice the amount of faith that Jesus has in the Heavenly Father. All things are possible for you. Nothing is impossible with God. And that ought to affect the way we shouldn't it? When we make petition to God and we think, well, that's just too, that's just too much. I can't ask God for that. There is no way that's ever going to happen. 
That's not the way Jesus prayed. All things are possible for you, Father. Do you pray that way? Or do you sometimes doubt? Do you sometimes think, ah, you know, probably not going to happen? Or do we say, God, I firmly believe you can make this happen. I truly and honestly believe with everything I have, God, all things are possible with, with you. Do you believe that? Jesus prayed, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Take this away, this cup, this cup that refers to, to suffering. It, it's a metaphor for God's wrath against sin. Jesus said, I, I don't want to have to drink this cup. Father, all things are possible with you. You can remove this from me if it be your will. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Some have speculated, what is Jesus so afraid of here? Is he afraid of the, of the prospect of, of dying? Well, when we look throughout church history, there are many followers of Jesus that have, that have boldly gone to their death on his account. And, and should we speculate that, well, they had more courage than Jesus did when it came to death? I don't think it's the physical aspect of his death that our Lord feared, although in his humanity, that's something we all struggle with. I think it, it deals with that cup that he's asking. Father, remove the cup, the cup of, of suffering, that on the cross, and even through this struggling here in Gethsemane, the suffering and the agony there, Jesus literally had to become sin so that we might be forgiven. Remember the words that he spoke in chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was going to pay the sin debt. He was going to pay the price to the Father and his justice because of our sin. Other verses in the New Testament dealing with this, Jesus being our substitute on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 Paul said, He made him who knew no sin, referring to Jesus, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Here is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, for all eternity had never sinned. And for the first time in His existence was going to feel what it felt like to sin. He was going to feel the full weight of rebellion against his heavenly Father in whom he had shared perfect relationship with for all eternity. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. Again, Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Finally, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13, Christ received or redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What our Lord was agonizing over, what he was horrified by, was the fact that he was going to be separated from his Father spiritually for the first time in all eternity. That prospect troubled him. It bothered him. It caused him affliction. And our Lord handled that through prayer. His faith in the Father. If it, if, if it be your will, you can remove this. All things are possible with you. Our Lord's petition. And in that we also see our Lord's submission and we look to that aspect as well. Our Lord's submission. He willingly subjected himself to the Father's will even if that involved suffering. In his prayer in verse 36, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What you will, Father. The question is, in suffering, is the Father trustworthy or not? And clearly to Jesus, he is. Father, remove this from me, but yet it's not about my comfort it's not about my ambitions it's what you want because Father your will is perfect is the Father trustworthy even if it means you've got to suffer to Jesus he is what about you what about you anybody can say well God I pray that this happens or I pray that this doesn't happen. It takes an extreme degree of faith to say, God, I want this to happen or I don't want this to happen, but I'm willing to accept whatever does happen because you're God and I'm not. And I trust you. It takes a stronger degree of faith to say that. I shared the story before at my previous pastorate. There was a couple that visited one Sunday and the gentleman was in my Sunday school class and he had mentioned his wife was struggling with her health with diabetes really bad and, and he asked that we would pray that God would heal her. And I said, well, certainly. And in my prayer, I, I prayed, Lord, uh, we pray if it be your will that, that you heal this man's wife. And Then we entered into the sanctuary and worship time. We were doing prayer requests and Jim raised his hand and he said, yeah, I'd like to pray that my wife is healed and this time I'd like to ask that we not say, God, if it's your will because when we do that, we doubt God and that hinders our prayers. It hinders the effectiveness of our prayers because we don't have faith. And so when I prayed, I think I prayed something along the lines of, Lord, we once again pray that you would heal this woman from, from her sickness and, Lord, we trust you. No matter what, you're in control. And we look at that, does it take more faith to say just what you want or does it take more faith to say, well, this is what I ask, but God, I trust you no matter what. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If it be your will, let this be. If it not be your will, then don't. Look to our Lord's submission as an example of how to pray and how to live in the midst of suffering. Look to our Lord's compassion, how He is always concerned with others. That's the very definition of love. 
Always concerned with others' well-being even before your own. Even when you're suffering, you care about other people. Even when you are not doing well. In verse 37, he came and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And here he is rebuking Peter and notice he uses Peter's original name, Simon. Peter means rock and Jesus renamed Simon Peter. You are Peter. You are the rock. And Here Jesus is basically saying to him gently, you're not being much of a rock right now. You're not standing firm. You know, you, you're slacking off. He says, Simon, are you, are you sleeping? Can you not keep watch? You see, Jesus was keeping watch. Jesus was staying on the alert for the enemy. And, but it wasn't just enough for him to fight the enemy himself. He was trying to help his disciples also fight the enemy. Even though Jesus was grieved to the point of death, agonized and horrified over everything he was about to face, he still cared about the spiritual well-being of his disciples. In my ministry, some of the most loving and the most selfless things I've seen people do is those who are dealing with sickness literally on their deathbed, making arrangements for their funeral because they don't want their family to be burdened with those details. People that even though they are faced with the prospect of dying, saying, I, I don't want my loved ones having, having to deal with all these minute details. I want to iron all this out because I, I care for them so much. In the midst of their own suffering, still concerned with others. That's compassion. When we suffer, sometimes we are tempted to take the focus and just turn it inwards, aren't we? It's, Woe is me. It's all about me. Why me? And, and we worry all about ourselves. And Here's our Lord. Still, can't, still concerned, compassionate for those around him. What a valuable lesson that is. He told them, keep watch just as he was keeping watch for them. We also look to our Lord's instruction in verse 38 through 40. We see valuable lessons for his disciples. You know, Gethsemane in some ways is about Jesus doing only what Jesus could do. He's talking about suffering for sin. He's talking about the cup. Here he is bearing this burden alone because it's a mission that only he could fulfill. No one else could take the full weight of humanity's sin upon themselves. No, no one else other than Jesus. So Gethsemane in some ways is a reminder to us of Jesus doing what only he could do. But in Gethsemane, we also see discipleship lessons because Jesus is instructing and giving commands to his followers in this setting. And if he's telling his disciples those things, we as his disciples today, they're, they're valuable lessons for us. And so Gethsemane is about our Lord and worshiping him for what he did for us, but it's also about how we can be more faithful followers of him. His instructions to his disciples in verse 38, he says to them, keep watching and praying. Keep watching. 
Keep being alert spiritually to all that's going on around you and keep praying. Keep going to God for direction and going to God for power and going to God for courage. Keep doing these things so that you may not come into temptation. Because whenever we suffer, the enemy comes at us and he tempts us to doubt God. He tempts us to be angry at God. And say, why me, God? If you're all-powerful, why do I have got to do what I'm doing? Lord, if I'm praying to you and if all things are possible for you and I ask for you to change this situation, God, why aren't you changing it? And we're tempted with bitterness. We're tempted with doubts. Doubting the power of God or doubting the the goodness of God. And he says, keep praying and keep being on the alert because temptation is a very real thing. Our Lord faced temptation and he knew how hard it was. He knew how difficult it was, especially if you were not watching for it and you weren't praying through it. Keep watching, keep praying, so you won't fall to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You might have every good intention to come through this situation faithfully. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And we as Christians, we deal with two natures. When you are saved, you become a new creation. Paul says that's the new man. We, we have a new heart, a new desire, and we've got every intention to serve Jesus and to live for Jesus and to obey Jesus. We want to do that. That's our spirit. And Jesus said the Spirit's willing. The Holy Spirit makes us willing. But we still battle this old nature, don't we? We still live in this fallen body with its fleshly desires, its temptations, its weaknesses, its frailties. And we are struggling, we are battling with that constantly. Paul writes about that. Romans 7. So these two natures, and we're battling our our new self and our old self, and we want to do what Jesus wants us to do, and in our old ways are pulling us this way. And Jesus says, keep watching and keep praying. Because the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, and you cannot overcome the flesh without watching and praying and doing these things constantly. Fighting, battling, struggling, contending. You've got to keep doing it, church. The enemy is ruthless. He is relentless. Just keep watching. Keep praying so you may not come into temptation. Some application for us as a church family. I alluded to this earlier maybe tipped my hand a little bit but unity how crucial that is and our Lord says keep watching stay on the alert because the enemy interestingly enough Peter writes about this 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 he says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he says stay on the alert same word used by Jesus tells them keep watching and Jesus says watch keep watching Peter says keep watching your enemy is on the prowl as we are growing as a church as we are reaching people we're seeing people saved and baptized and and renewing their faith and, and going into this world and being on mission for Jesus the enemy hates that he's going to try to persecute us from the outside he's going to try to 
He's going to try to infiltrate on the inside. He's going to try to find roots of bitterness, hostility, and he is going to try to tempt people to handle things the wrong way. And we have got to keep on the alert. Shame on us if we sleep through it in this time. The enemy hates us. He's going to, he's going to try us. He's going to tempt us. And if we let our guard down, we might find ourselves in a very poor situation as a church body. Keep on the alert. Keep watching. Stay spiritually aware when we study a passage of Scripture, one of the ways we can come away with what the author is trying to emphasize is repetition. There are a few words that keep coming up again and again and again in this passage. One of those is prayer, prayed, praying, something to do with, with prayer. Four times, four times, prayer in this text. Also, keep watch. Keep watching three times. Keep watch. Keep watching. Keep watch. And it's interesting too because where did this take place? Gethsemane. Where's Gethsemane? On the Mount of Olives. Wasn't Jesus just on the Mount of Olives in chapter 13? The Olivet Discourse? What did Jesus emphasize at the end of that? Be on the alert repeatedly. Keep on the alert. Keep watch. And here he told him on the Mount of Olives just in chapter 13... Keep on the alert. And here in chapter 14, keep on the alert. But what do they keep doing? Another word that repeats itself four times. Sleep. Sleeping. Asleep. Some derivative of that word. So what we see in this passage is we take these repetitious words. Jesus is saying, pray, 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 pray. Keep on the alert. Keep on the alert. Keep on the alert. Sleep, 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 sleep. In other words, don't be like the disciples. Be like Jesus, like those DirecTV commercials and the famous person comes out, this is me, i got DirecTV, and then they come out dressed all differently and crazy, and this is me, and I've got cable. And at the end of it, don't be like the cable me, be like the DirecTV me. Don't be like the disciples. Be like Jesus in this text. But here's the good news even when you're like the disciples thank God for Jesus <laughs> because he told them be on the alert be on the alert be on the alert pray 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 they were asleep they were asleep they were asleep they were asleep and he took the cup of God's wrath anyway and he drank it full so that they might become the righteousness of God in him knowing they were sleeping he still he still went to the cross. It's good news for us, folks. Because we have a discipleship lesson, we need to be on the alert and pray, but even when we don't, our Lord still loves us. Our Lord still died for us. It was because they fell asleep Jesus had to drink the cup. It's because we continually sin against God that Jesus had to drink the cup. Look to our Lord's instructions. And finally, look to our Lord's determination. Now that he had prayed, he was ready to go forth 
and go forward bravely to do whatever it was the Father had for him to do, even to the point of the cross. Verse 41, after coming to them three times and finding them sleeping, verse 41, he came the third time, said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Remember, he prayed back in verse verse 35. He began to pray if it were possible the hour might pass. The hour wasn't going to pass. The hour had come. He says, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Throughout Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus constantly in charge. We see Jesus constantly in action. He is the one actively doing these things. And here we see Jesus Jesus passively being betrayed. Being handed over to sinners. Jesus submitting himself to the Father's plan the father's will the son of man is being betrayed to fulfill scripture divine necessity son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners get up let us be going behold the one who betrays me is at hand these are the last words of Jesus in his freedom he's about to be arrested and tried and crucified and killed His last words, get up, the hour has come. I'm being betrayed. It's the Father's will. No cold feet. Jesus bravely going forward. Lord, I don't want to suffer, but if it's your will, I'll do it. We need to entrust ourselves to the Father's perfect plan, just like Jesus did. Even when that plan from our perspective doesn't look perfect. I know what a perfect plan looks like and suffering is not part of it. But if God is truly sovereign and if God is really in control of everything, entrust yourself to the Father's perfect plan even when that plan involves your suffering. In school, at the beginning of every semester, the professor gives you something called a syllabus. The syllabus kind of shows you everything you're going to be doing in the course, all of the homework assignments, all of the the exams, and all the things you're going to be studying. And when you look that syllabus over, there's something called syllabus shock. Have you all ever been there before and done that? You look at that paper and you're thinking, whoa, I've got to do all this? And it's at that moment when you realize everything that you've got to do lying ahead of you, you've got a choice to do two things. You can either tough it out or you can withdraw from the course and get out of Dodge. I remember my first semester at UK, a friend of mine uh, and myself, we enrolled in chemistry 101. And uh, we walked into the class that day and the professor gave out the syllabus and we looked through that. And I was like, man, I... I don't know about this. And my buddy's like, yeah, man, we can do it. We can do it. And I was like, this looks pretty tough, man. I said, you know, we've got 15 hours. You know, I don't know if I'm going to stay in here or not. And so surely, eventually, I went ahead and dropped the course. And my buddy decided he was going to tough it out. And it got so bad for him in the course of, of that semester that got to time for the final exam, he didn't even go to it. And he said, even if I ace that thing 100%, I'm still going to fail. 
And so faced with the prospect of looking at that syllabus and all that lie ahead, I had the opportunity and I, and I got out. What we see in Gethsemane, in essence, is Jesus looking at the syllabus. Jesus, perhaps knowing the cross was coming all through his ministry, he prophesied that. Maybe for the first time beginning to feel that emotional and that spiritual separation, being horrified at the fact that the, the hour was here. Jesus looking at that syllabus and deciding, is, am I going to bail or am I going to tough it out? And thank God he decided to tough it out. He decided to move forward, decided, you know what, even if i got to suffer, I love my Father regardless. Even if I've got to suffer for these disciples that continually disobey me, I love them so much I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to take their sin. They're guilty. I'm not. I'm willing to take their guilt so that they might be forgiven. Jesus loved his disciples so much to do that. Jesus loves you so much that he did that for you. The question is, do you trust him enough to surrender your life to him? Pick up your cross daily and follow after him. None of us want to go through difficulty. None of us want to be tried. None of us want to to face adversity and to anguish over situations and circumstances that are negative from our point of view. Nobody wants to do that. So as a Christian, how can we face those things? We can do that like Jesus. We can follow his example and his instruction in this text. And we learn that Christ-like conviction creates courage. When you have the same kind of conviction that Jesus had, that the Father is trustworthy, that prayer is powerful, when you have those types of convictions, like Jesus, yield yourself to God, He creates in you a form of courage that is supernatural, that you did not know was possible, and you can face those situations those trials, you can face that suffering and you can do so the whole time entrusting yourself to the Father's perfect plan praying, Lord, all things are possible with you yet not what I will but what you will. Let's pray.